Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at That's Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hey, friends. Thanks for joining our podcast. I want to tell you about something really new and exciting called Patreon.com slash BP Show. It's a great way to get uh, exclusive interviews with newsmakers, voicemails, personalized videos, political commentary, and early access to a special podcast called The Making of Bernie Sanders. Go to patreon.com slash BP show, patreon.com slash BP show. Giving you everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is the Bill Press Show live at youtube.com slash the Bill Press Show. Yes, what do you say the circus didn't shut down? They just moved it, moved it to 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. Hey, what do you say, folks? Great to see you on this Monday, Monday, May 22nd. Can you believe it? Man, pretty soon we're going to be right into the heart of summer, spring dashing by because there's so much going on, and that's why we're here at the Bill Press Show. Welcome, welcome. On YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Great to see you. Reaching out to you coast to coast with all the news of the day. Catching you up to date on what you might have missed over the weekend. Donald Trump just landing in Tel Aviv, the second stop of his uh, big first foreign policy trip, foreign uh, trip uh, to Saudi Arabia, to Israel, to Israel today, to the Palestinian territories to Italy, to Belgium, and then ending up in Sicily. Uh, So far, it's sort of been a disastrous, embarrassing start, um, but they call it historic over there at the White House. We'll bring you up to date on all that's going on with the help of some good friends today. Holly Harris joining us from the U.S. Justin Action Network. Talk about whatever happened to criminal justice reform. Annie Linsky from the Boston Globe with all things Trump. And Jack Jenkins from Think Progress with is Donald Trump the man, really, to weave together the world's three great religions? (laughs) Uh, A little atheist like Donald Trump? Well, we'll find out from Jack Jenkins. But first... This is the Full Court Press. Yes, indeed. Happy Monday. Just a couple of other stories making news. Turn out the lights. The circus is over. Yesterday was the final performance of the P.T. Barnum Circus, the Barnum and Bailey Circus. Ringling Brothers, Barnum and Bailey. has been going on for 146 years. Ladies and gentlemen, children of all ages, the Bell family is proud to present Ringling Brothers and Barnum and Bailey. There it goes. I'm going to miss it. Are you? No. Yeah, no, I'm not even. The circus is stupid. God. The circus is so stupid. Facing steep declines no, Cir- in Cirque du Soleil. All right, we got it. 
<laughs> but, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I'm not a big fan of that either. But but here's the thing: like, like with with this, they've been facing so much, uh, so many problems with animal rights activists yeah. because of yeah. how they treat their animals, and it's just not okay to keep big animals Plus, like elephants tick- and things like ticket that. Ticket sales were way down, and ticket sales partly because of that. Down. Yeah, that's part of the reason. So uh, that's it. They came out. The CEO came out yesterday uh, before the show and said, "Let's celebrate the greatest show on earth." One last time at the Nassau Coliseum, and that was it. It is over. No yep. more circus. I'm all right with that. I am. I, I long, long overdue. Yeah, I think so too. We've talked before about the Global Seed Vault. Ringling this... uh, has a great museum down in um, Sarasota. Oh yeah. Yeah. There's a yeah museum, a circus Sarasota. museum. Go see it in Sarasota, Florida. That's enough. They're all. That's little, all you need to say. Yeah, all little models of a circus. That's fine. That's all you need. <laughs> no actual elephants. Though. No. We've talked before about the Global Seed Vault, right? This is the the vault that's locked away deep inside the Arctic Circle where we have backup seeds of all these different plants in case yeah. they get obliterated yeah. or something major happens. Well, <laughs> this vault was designed to protect these seeds for a long, long time, right? Mm-hmm. In case we have some apocalyptic event, we can start replanting. Oh, I don't like what I'm hearing. One thing they did not prepare for was global warming. The global seed vault was actually penetrated by the defrost, the deep freeze, right? When that froze or when that unfroze, it flooded. To be clear, none of the seeds were damaged, but it did get into the seed vault and into the floor and got into the facility, which they had never thought that they were going to have to deal with flooding because it was in the Arctic Circle. And now because of global warming, they do have to deal with that. There are a million packets of seeds with different varieties of very important (laughs) food crops. And because of the permafrost that was melting, we might lose them. Uh, did anybody tell Jim Inhofe? Fake news. One more thing for him to deny. Yeah, right. Yeah, right. Don't tell Scott Pruitt. Fake news. On your radio, on TV. And online, this is The Bill Press Show. Well, what do you say, everybody? Great to see you on a Monday, Monday, May 22nd. Indeed, uh, here we are, The Bill Press Show. That's me, and it's good to see all of you today. Welcome, all of you, to the program. Uh, A big, 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 busy weekend. Uh, Donald Trump taking off on his first big foreign tour on Friday, landing the next day in Saudi Arabia. Two big days there, and today he just landed uh, Just landed in Tel Aviv. He's now holding a uh, public meeting there with the president of Israel, President Rivlin. Uh, then he'll be meeting with Prime Minister Netanyahu and visiting the Holocaust Museum and um, um, going up to the Palestinian territory as well. We'll keep you up to date on that and all the rest of the news with the help of our guest today. It is great to see you. I hope you had a great weekend. Ready to dive into the news of the day, and we're making it possible for you on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show, making it possible for you to follow on Free Speech TV, of course, on WCPT out in the greater Chicago area. And we invite you one more time to become part of our team and to take advantage of uh, some exclusive stuff that we are working together, putting up for you exclusively on Patreon, patreon.com. And for a little monthly fee, you will have access to all the special videos and podcasts and stuff that we put up there as well. Uh, just got to tell you, starting off, you mentioned, Peter, one show that has closed down. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I was in New York over the weekend, and I saw one show that um, should never close down. I saw the revival of Hello, Dolly! with Bette Midler. And I got to tell you, it was incredible. She is a force of nature, Bette Midler. Very good, very funny. Um, 70 years old, and she looks like she's 23 um, uh, in, in terms of her energy interaction. So if you have a chance while it's there in New York, um, make a point of it. Uh, get your tickets. Enjoy, uh, enjoy the weekend in New York and enjoy that show uh, as much as I did. And the other show, uh, halfway across the world, yes, in Saudi Arabia, it is, I'm sure you've been able to keep up with a little bit over the weekend, it is incredible to watch the chameleon, Donald Trump, change his spots, change his colors from everything that he ever said uh, about Islam before. He said just the opposite uh, in Saudi Arabia. Now, let me hasten to add, I'm glad he didn't take that hateful rhetoric about all Muslims uh, with him to Saudi Arabia. I'm glad he didn't take the condemnation of Israel, Islam as a violent or religion that encourages violence. Remember, he said Islam hates us during the campaign. I'm glad he didn't take that rhetoric with him. But it was stunning to see Donald Trump's speech to the leaders of 50 Muslim countries where he said, um, again, just the opposite, uh, set the exact, exact opposite tone of what he did during his uh, campaign. Uh, he called on uh, Muslims, he said, to take, they got to take the lead in routing out terrorism. Muslim-majority countries must take the lead in combating radicalization. And, and, he said, if they don't, well, then God is going to judge us. If we do not stand in uniform condemnation of this killing, then not only will we be judged by our people, not only will we be judged by history, but we will be judged by God. And Donald Trump calling on the Saudis, and uh, well, not just the Saudis, calling on the leaders, again, of these 50 Sunni nations uh, to unite against extremist, and to unite against Iran. Uh, that was their, he, he said, their common, two common enemies. Our goal is to stamp out, stamp out extremism. Our goal is a coalition of nations who share the aim of stamping out extremism and providing our children a hopeful future that does honor to God. <laughs> By the way, hearing him to God, yeah, thank you. <laughs> talk like that is just—it uh, is. Remember all the crap he gave Jeb Bush for being low energy? Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, when he gets serious, when he gets off, you know, uses the teleprompter, he gets. Wait, I way... thought that that meant that you were a stupid president if you use a teleprompter. Isn't that what I heard about Barack Obama when he well, used a teleprompter? Oh, that's another thing on which he has changed oh, his hmm. tune. Yeah, uh, but by the way. Yeah, you've got to. You just have to point out again. This is 180 degrees from where he was as a candidate. And by the way, the Saudis don't care. You know, if he'll sell them arms, and he'll um, give them the honor of a presidential visit, uh, they don't care what he's what he said during the during the campaign. You know, they're they're as um, 
they, they don't believe in anything and neither does he, I guess is what I want to say. But um, so this going back in the Wayback Machine, it's certainly, again, a contrast to Donald Trump, campaigner. Here we are, December 2015. Donald J. Trump is calling for a total and complete shutdown of Muslims entering the United States. Oh, there you go. Until our country's representatives can figure out what the hell is going on. Yeah, on a shutdown. No. And of course, he didn't try that. He's tried it now twice uh, with his executive order, uh, which the courts have blocked. And in terms of the Saudis, uh, these are our best friends now. That's not what he said back in February 2016. You will find out who really knocked down the World Trade Center because they oh. have papers that there oh. that are very secret. You may find it's the Saudis. Oh, I forgot. Uh, about I totally that. forgot about like full-on conspiracy 9/11. Uh, yeah, it's the Saudis. Well, we do have to remember that 15 out of 19 of the uh, uh, terrorists on September 11 were from Saudi Arabia. Yeah. Yeah. The Saudis? Mm-hmm. The yeah. Saudis. I didn't mention that. Oh and the other God. thing about the speech for the with the, with the, to these leaders is that or this is the first day when he got there and he the remarks that he made when he was greeted by the king, King Salman, uh, Donald Trump saying, "We did not come here to lecture you. We are not here uh, to lecture you." Which uh, caught some people by surprise here in the United States because to put it mildly, Saudi Arabia is not known for a country that leads when it comes to human rights, particularly in its treatment of women. The World Economic Forum uh, looked at 144 countries in terms of how they deal with gender equality. Um, Guess where Saudi Arabia ranks out of 144? 141. Oh, my God. And as we know, uh, still today in Saudi Arabia, uh, women are not allowed to drive. Uh, women are not allowed to take taxis, with rare exceptions. Uh, if they do, have, for some whatever, uh, are, ride a bus. We're not encouraged to do that, but if there's some emergency or something, uh, they have to go in the back door of the bus, and they have to sit in the back of the bus. Sounds familiar? Yeah, right? We went through that here with skin color, not with uh, gender. Uh, women in Saudi Arabia still today, every woman has to have a male guardian, a male guardian. And without that male guardian, it could be your brother, it could be an uncle, it could be whatever. Um, without that male guardian, uh, a woman is not allowed to leave the house, uh, is not allowed to shop, is not allowed to make a business deal, uh, is not allowed to get an education, um, not allowed to go uh, to open a bank account, not allowed to... Um, even go through elective surgery, certain elective surgery, certainly anything that has to do with uh, private parts. Um, no, you have to have the permission of your male guardian or your male escort. Uh, and, of course, they have to wear uh, the uh, hijab or uh, cover and cover their clothing, every bit of their body except their face in Saudi Arabia. And when they go to restaurants, they sit in a separate section. When they go to theaters, they sit in a separate section, if they're allowed in at all. Uh, pretty instructive that the big uh, big event of Donald Trump's visit, uh, one of the big events certainly, was the Toby Keith concert. Oh, yeah, man. And it looked like a great rocking crowd. If you looked at that crowd very carefully, you would notice there were no women at all in that crowd because they were not allowed. Uh, so this is... Um, 
We did not come to lecture them. That's okay if you treat women that way as far as we are concerned these days <clears throat> in the world of Donald Trump. Have you ever listened to Toby Keith, by the way? Yes, actually, I did. Right. I have. I yeah. pulled up some of his lyrics, right, oh. just in case Just in oh. case nobody oh. knows who yeah. Toby Keith is. Uh, this is from his song, Courtesy of the Red, White, and Blue. Classic. A classic, right? I think you could agree with me, Jamie, that this is his, this is yeah. his, his, yeah. his biggest hit. Justice will be served and the battle will rage. This big dog will fight when you rattle his cage. And you'll be sorry you messed with the U.S. of A. Because we'll put a boot in your ass. It's the American way. Yeah. Great. This is the 9-11 uh, response this song. This was the 9-11 Fox, oh, yeah. Fox and Friends yeah. played it every morning. Yes, yes. yes. <laughs> right. There it is. I wonder if he played What a great message to the rest of the world. Did they play that one? Uh... I Boy, I mean... You got to play the hits, but I'd, it'd be tough to play that song in Saudi Arabia. <laughs> yeah, right. But uh, I have to say, I don't see this trip to uh, Saudi Arabia and the sudden turning uh, from hating Muslims to loving Muslims, or uh, and 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 ignoring anything to do with human rights. Not even raising they, the White House insists that privately. The president raised the issue of human rights with the Saudis. If you believe that, I mean, you're dumber than I think you are, right? Um, why not publicly, the way George Bush did, by the way, or Barack Obama did? Uh, we used to stand for human rights. We used to stand. Uh, we, we didn't cuddle up, cuddle up to people uh, who are um, violent dictators and abusers of human rights until this White House. Um, CNN and Politico have done did, did a very interesting study about. Have you noticed Donald Trump's um, how attracted he is to strongmen, or let's put it a better way, to thugs? Right? I mean, just think about it. Um, the, the lead story in the uh, New York Times yesterday: China killing CIA informants. China has stifled U.S. spying. China has been able to hack into our system somehow, uh, our intelligence systems, and they have uh, discovered people in China who are moles, if you will, for the CIA. Um, in, from the final weeks of 2010 through the end of 2012, the Chinese rounded up and killed at least a dozen of the CIA's sources According to three officials, one of them was shot in front of his colleagues in the courtyard of a government building. All told, the Chinese have killed or imprisoned 18 to 20 of sources for the CIA in China. And, of course, this is under President Xi, whom Donald Trump welcomed to Mar-a-Lago and said he was one of his best friends. Um, we've talked about President Duterte of the Philippines. Thousands and thousands of suspected drug dealers or users that he has sent his secret police out to round up and slaughter in the streets. Uh, Donald Trump has invited President Duterte of the Philippines to the White House. Over the weekend, North Korea shot off another missile. This one a shorter range missile, but a successful missile launch Donald Trump says about Kim Jong-un, who, of course, has uh, impoverished uh, his own people. Uh, Kim Jong-un, he called him a smart cookie and said he would be honored, honored to meet with him. 
another smart cookie, Donald Trump praising as a strong, strong leader. Of course, he's going to be meeting with Vladimir Putin. I believe it's in June after, uh, at Putin's suggestion, inviting um, Foreign Minister Lavrov and Ambassador Kislyak to the uh, to the to the Oval Oval Office. Um, the uh, president of Turkey at the White House last week, the president of Turkey, who has also jailed thousands of political opponents and jailed more journalists than any other country on the planet. Uh, Turkey, President Turkey, in the Oval Office last week, President Erdogan of Turkey, um, also uh, who just assumed, uh, took over dictatorial powers in Turkey thanks to a referendum that he pushed through, which is now being uh, investigated by an international commission for alleged uh, fraud, vote, voter fraud. So you go down, you go down the list. President of Sisi of Egypt, notorious for locking up political prisoners and having some of them uh, executed. Donald Trump praised him as a fantastic guy. He was also invited to the mm-hmm. Oval Office. When you look about these people, these people that Donald Trump is hanging out with, right? It's pretty scary, and. Uh, it, it 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 does I think send the message. We don't care what you do in your own country, right? At all, we have, we have no regard for human rights at all, as long as you say you're an ally of the United States. Be nice to us publicly, right? right. Yeah, and you could get away with murder. Obviously, he's a pretty smart cookie. Yeah. Now, you know, you might, you might might say, okay, that's a smart strategy in the real world if we were really getting something in return. But what are we getting, let's say, from Vladimir Putin? What we're getting from Vladimir Putin is he seized Crimea. He invaded another country, seized part of it, and just took it over. He invaded the Ukraine. He is carpet bombing Syria. He is helping Bashar al-Assad, whom we want to overthrow in Syria, right? He is rounding up his own political enemies and poisoning them. So what's the deal with Vladimir Putin? And that's just, what are we getting out of Duterte from the Philippines other than, you know, bad reputation by hanging out with such a guy? Uh, I think it's very disturbing, and this trip uh, is um, just, it just highlights, highlights that. There was, a, back here on the home front, if we can, I thought a little good political news over the weekend. Bernie Sanders on the road again. Bernie Sanders out in Montana. Yeah, right. Where Rob Quist has a, who's very, very independent, very progressive, didn't want any help from the National Political, uh, National Democratic Party because he wanted to do it on his own. He didn't want to look like he was a tool of the DNC, if you will. But he invited Bernie Sanders out, and Bernie, Bernie was glad to go. Bernie says, with uh, this uh, guitar cowboy, yeah, right. Uh, Rob Quist going to bring him back here to Washington. Rob is going to go to Congress, and he's going to work with me and other progressives in the Congress, and we're going to change those national priorities. Yes, indeed. Uh, Bernie says things are so weird now uh, in Washington that um, there's one word that that <laughs> it just doesn't apply anymore. The word unbelievable has lost its meaning in Washington lately. <laughs> Bernie's got jokes. So true. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, what is it? Five months now. So we, we no longer say 
unbelievable. Most things are pretty believable these days. I mean, they're insane, yeah. Yeah. but I go, yeah, I believe that. I saw somebody mention this morning, uh, God, remember when we were making a big deal about uh, Kellyanne Conway hawking Ivanka's jewelry? Yeah. That, that seems so quaint now, right? Doesn't Compared that... to the scandals that we've got today, right? Yeah. Uh, and the scandals haven't gone away. Oh, by the way, there's one other uh, thing that was announced here. Uh, but does relate to this foreign trip is the Pope, I mean, the uh, president will be leaving when he leaves uh, Israel and the Palestinian territory. He'll be going to Italy. He is going to be meeting with Pope Francis, I think, tomorrow. Uh, and we have a new ambassador to the Vatican. Oh, boy. Yes. Callista, Callista Gingrich, Mrs. Newt Gingrich. Uh, I think the pers- perfect person to represent uh, the Vatican. She is Newt's third wife. Yep. She was uh, sleeping with him when he was married to his second wife. Yeah. Uh, and so she represents a new kind of Catholic. Uh, you talk about. I think. You know what I mean? I'm, yeah, when I'm you talk about marriage. A 21st century female Catholic, right? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Who better to represent the Catholic Church? Uh, <laughs> the, <laughs> the American interest in the Catholic Church. This is like Donald oh, Trump. Man. Sticking his finger in Pope Francis's eye. You know, I, I mean, it, seriously, we make jokes, but like that is the guiding <laughs> principle for just about everything that Trump does is to try and screw somebody over, right? Like, so much of this stuff that he's doing is to uh, mess with Obama or people who voted or loved or respected Obama. He had this fight with the Pope. The Pope. Well, but Donald Trump, by the way, twice divorced himself. So sure, in yeah. a sense, yeah. she is him. Yeah. Uh, the Pope, he and Trump yeah. have had yeah, a pretty right. public sort of back and forth. The Pope has said building the wall is basically immoral. Yeah. You know. So here, have one of our dumbest, least qualified people <laughs> to be ambassador. I, you know, I, Jesus. Oh, right. Uh, <laughs> and again, back here at home, the uh, breaking story Friday when the president left. Uh, the United States was that James Comey has announced he is uh, going to testify publicly, I think this week. Uh, I'm not sure they've set the date yet, but he wants to tell his story. It's the last thing that Donald Trump needs. Uh, And then we learned that when um, that famous meeting, the day after Donald Trump fired James Comey, that in that meeting, uh, that Donald Trump uh, told them According to the notes of the meeting, I told them that he had felt he felt a lot better because, pardon me, he had fired that nut job. He called him a showboat before, but with the Russians, he called James Comey, pardon me, a nut job. He had fired that nut job, James Comey, and he was happy because it really relieved the pressure on him. Yes. Now, you talk about. I'm telling you, make it a deal with the enemy. You go to your enemy of the United States. There's certainly, enemy may be too strong. There's certainly not friends of the United States, Russia, adversaries of the United States. And you you basically say, hey, now I can deal with you. The message I heard was, now I can deal with you because I got this nut job off my back. George Stephanopoulos yesterday asking, um, uh, McMaster, uh, the uh, H.R. McMaster, the National Security Advisor, I- is that is that a- appropriate for the president to say that? Yeah, the president of the United States telling the Russian foreign minister in their first meeting that the pressure is off because he's fired 
the FBI director investigating Russian interference in the campaign. Does that seem appropriate to you? As you know, it's, it's very difficult to take a few lines, to take a paragraph out, out of what, are, what, are, what appear to be notes of that meeting. He doesn't answer the question, right? No. Is it appropriate? No, it's not appropriate. Because it really does say, now we can deal. Now we don't have to worry about Comey listening in, or we don't have to worry about Comey coming after us. Now we got him out of the way, so basically we can do anything we want. Uh, and, and I don't have to worry about that anymore, which, of course, is not true because now we got Robert Mueller on his ass instead of James Comey. One of the biggest, two big mistakes, the biggest, I think, that Donald Trump has made. One was hiring Michael Flynn. He was warned about it by Barack Obama. He was told, actually, Mike, by Michael Flynn himself, that Michael Flynn was under investigation for his dealings with Turkey. He still hired him as his national security advisor, fired him 24 days later. Uh, he'll never admit it, but I'm sure, I'm sure people around him rue that mistake. And the second mistake was firing James Comey, because look what has happened since then. He's got nothing but bad publicity. He has now not the director of the FBI. He's got a special independent prosecutor who can go anywhere with that investigation and will have all the resources he needs to keep this investigation alive for months, if not years, because James Comey, because Donald Trump fired James Comey. Can I ask you a question? Because last week was just so chaotic. And I think that's probably no, going to be the new normal every, for us. Think about it. Every yeah. single day last week, yeah. at about 5.30 or 6 o'clock in Boom. the afternoon, there was another scandal. Was a huge another bombshell. bombshell. Something gigantic would happen. Yeah. Uh, is this sustainable? I mean, do you, do you think that the heat is actually going to catch up to Trump to where he doesn't make it? Like to where he resigns or he, something catches up with him? Read my column from last week. Oh. I do believe I put it this way. Until last week, I figured anybody who said Donald Trump was not going to last four years was crazy. Yeah. Now I've totally changed my mind. This can this can not endure. This man cannot. We cannot sustain, and neither can he. This one scandal after another. It can now. I don't know how it's going to end. But I, I got to tell you, there is no way uh, that this will, will will go on for four years. You know, one time, no I, way. I, I, I'm in the same exact position. Uh, Donald Trump right can't now. survive it, but neither can we. No, these American people. And 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 by the way, this is serious stuff. We're serious. We're really talking about um, more and more. Evidence. In fact, the other thing that broke is there is now a person of interest in this Russian collusion investigation been identified, not named, but a person of interest that they're going after is inside of Donald yeah. Trump's inner circle. It's not Paul Manafort. <clears throat> Jared Kushner. <clears throat> it's not Roger Stone. Right. Yeah, I can't tell you who it is. <clears throat> Jared Kushner. But, uh, but inside the oval, inside that inner circle in the White House is a person of interest in this FBI investigation. So uh, in response to your question, no, cannot last four years. Now, does that mean we get Mike Pence? I don't know. I would hope the whole bunch could go, but 
If it got my pence, as Maxine Waters told us in our interview, which yeah. is I still think up on our podcast or wherever. On YouTube, yeah, yeah. On yeah. YouTube, that uh, fine, we'll take care of Trump and then we'll go after Pence. Yeah. And, and look, I think that if you look at what's going on right now, Pence is just as tied into all this as Trump is. Because whether or not there's collusion, I, I don't know. That's going to be really hard to prove. That's going to take a long time. But the obstruction of justice stuff, I mean, Trump has admitted essentially to obstruction of justice. And one really telling thing that you hit on last week early, and you said if this is going to fall apart for Trump, it's going to be because he loses the Republicans. And support for Trump among Republicans at yeah. the end of last week was at 73%, which sounds high. But among Republicans, right, like it's yeah. rare for that to drop below 80%. It practically never yeah. happens. And he's at 73 and I don't think it's going to get much better. When he starts losing Republicans and they realize, oh, crap, we can't tie ourselves to this guy anymore. They'll throw him overboard. Uh, we well, got to take a break, but just before we do, Marco Rubio, one Republican, and I isn't, of course, he ran against Trump. He's not a big fan of Donald Trump's, but he, so far he's been saying, you know, look, give the guy a chance, right? He hasn't been an outspoken critic of, of Trump the way John McCain has been or Lindsey Graham has been. But even Marco Rubio said the other day, this is we got to we, we just have to figure out find what what out, what went on, and then and then put it behind us. But there's no doubt that this cloud is impacting everything else. And I think the White House would acknowledge that. So we need to get over this once and for all. And the best way to do it is to have a process in place to arrive at the facts, no matter what they are. And whatever those facts are, that's what we need to make our decisions on. No matter what they are. Now we do have a process in place, and he's, his name is Robert Mueller. And meanwhile, Donald Trump uh, is trying to roll back everything uh, that President Obama accomplished in his eight years, including, of course, any progress on climate change and any progress on criminal justice reform. Those efforts, is there any way to prevent Jeff Sessions and Donald Trump from uh, just destroying that entire movement? Holly Harris joins us next. She's executive director of the U.S. Justice Action Network. You will find out who really knocked down the World Trade Center because they have papers in there that are very secret. You may find it's the Saudis. Get social with Bill Press. Like us at Facebook.com slash Bill Press Show. This is the Bill Press Show. Live video, Bill's commentary, the best clips from the show, all in one place. YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show. All right, make it a Monday, May 22nd, and here we are, The Bill Press Show, with you coast to coast on YouTube, YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Joining you on WCPT on Chicago and looking at you on Free Speech TV, coast to coast as well. Thank you so much for joining us. Lots to talk about, and who says uh, that... Uh, there is no issue in which Democrats and Republicans can agree in Washington. I mean, right toward the end of last year, all through last year, uh, there was at least one issue in which uh, Barack Obama and the Koch brothers agreed. It was criminal justice reform. Whatever happened to that, Holly Harris is here with us to tell us all about it, executive director of the U.S. Justice Action Network. Hi, Holly. Nice to see you. Good morning. So there was a big head of steam. Everybody said the one thing that they were going to get done last year, um, bipartisan way, was criminal justice reform. Well, you know, Washington did what Washington does best. It, it stalled and 
you know, it's pretty much, uh, I'd say that our legislation at this point um, is is behind a lot of other issues like tax reform, infrastructure improvement, um, infra- infrastructure improvements. So, I mean, it's a little bit frustrating because the states are charging forward with these reform policies. They're safely reducing their prison populations. They're lowering their crime and recidivism rates. And here's Washington just lagging behind as always. So. But isn't isn't it more than lagging behind? Isn't uh, the Trump administration actually trying to d- reverse direction? I mean, with uh, Jeff Sessions? So the Attorney General Jeff Sessions recently issued a a memo um, to his staff, which was basically uh, turning back um, from reform policies that the Obama administration um, had implemented under Eric Holder. Um, And and basically what Sessions is doing is, is he is directing his staff to charge at the highest levels. Well, you know, obviously that's going to have an enormous impact on the prison population. And what's sad about that is data has shown that longer prison sentences actually don't improve public safety, especially for your lower level nonviolent offenders. Because what happens is you put your low level offenders in with your higher level offenders. So Mm -hmm. what happens is they become better criminals, not better citizens. And so when they do eventually return to society, which, by the way, 95 percent of these individuals are getting out someday. And when they return to society, of course, they can't find employment, they can't improve their education, they can't find adequate housing. What happens, you know, when a person is just totally yeah, lost? Yeah. They return to crime, return to prison, and we're no safer, we're spending more money, and that's the cycle of failure that my organization seeks to break. I always thought that the the best argument that came out of this whole talk about prison reform is if you look at prison as a tool for rehabilitation, which is what it should be, like by definition, right, is to rehabilitate. It it doesn't it's not working we just have to admit if that's our goal it doesn't work once you've gone to prison you are far likely to go back yeah i mean individuals who've been incarcerated work nine fewer weeks per year and take home 40 percent less annual pay than their colleagues wow. so i mean they are permanently economically disabled and don't get me wrong some of them should be yeah but others right are addicts or have mental illness. And these are people that we're not afraid of, we're just mad at them because they've made some poor choices. And they would see much better outcomes if we had given them treatment, rehabilitation, alternatives to incarceration. So, you know, I'm really concerned. What concerns me most about the Sessions memo, though, is the bureaucracy now for, let's say, a prosecutor, you know, uh, wants to use his or her prosecutorial discretion and charge at, you know, a lower level. Well, now you have to seek the permission of a U.S. attorney or, you know, some supervisor in order to do that. So, again, you're adding a bureaucratic layer, which, by the way, conservative Republicans don't like that. So so you're adding to government. um, And I I, and I think, you know, Sessions was talking about how we shouldn't handcuff these prosecutors. Well, that's exactly what this memo does. So it's frustrating. Uh, Let's get the elephant in the room here. Tell us about the racial component of this thing. Well, sentencing. we all know that mandatory minimum sentencing um, sentences rather have had a disproportionate impact on communities of color. Um, what I think is uh, startling is what's happening with the female prison population. You know, the fastest growing segment of the prison population is women. Wow. And it's drugs. And so, you know, and, and women are entering prisons that are programmed for men. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And so, you know, right off the bat, they're, they're not. Are these nonviolent drug offenses? N- the vast majority of them, yes. Right. And, and a lot of your violent offenders are actually imprisoned for um, committing violence against an individual who's been violent against them. 
So uh, there's a lot of abuse issues, um, and, and that's a really complicated issue that very few people are talking about. We do talk a lot about, you know, racial disparities, but, but nobody's really talking about the explosion of the female prison population. Right. So you had such, you did really have such strong support in the Congress last time. We still do. We and still st- do. Well, I guess that was my question. Well, I was going to say whatever happened to that support, but you say it's still there. So why aren't these same people, you know, trying to move this agenda? Again, I think it's it's just um, because when the Trump administration uh, came to power, you know, we knew there were going to be issues that were going to be in front of criminal justice reform. We knew health care was going to be somehow addressed. We knew tax reform, infrastructure improvements. These were all going to be priorities of the Trump administration. What I would say now is that, look, it appears that these issues Um, do not have bipartisan consensus. And so um, if you're Mm. looking to get something done in this country, uh, the one issue, I mean, if you put the Sentencing Reform and Corrections Act, the Grassley bill, if you put that bill on the floor today Mm -hmm. in the United States Senate, it passes. Wow. Really? Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. They've got the votes. Yes, absolutely. And you saw, you know, a lot of Republicans. Would it have the uh, administration support? You know, we haven't heard from the administration. I mean, we obviously know that the attorney general is opposed to sentencing reform right? Um, because he was opposed to the Sentencing Reform and Corrections Act. We have not heard from the president. And, you know, hope springs eternal because I sure, do feel sure. like once he hears about the successes in the states, once he hears about Texas, Georgia, South Carolina, states like Oklahoma, Kentucky, Ohio. Well, you know, those all those all those liberal states. I mean, you know, all, those, all, all those again, blue states like big, Oklahoma. Yeah. Big red conservative states that went overwhelmingly for Trump. Trump are overwhelmingly supportive of criminal justice reform and their legislatures are aggressively moving toward policy. So what are they doing? The prison population. What are they doing? Well, you look at a state like Georgia and I would say that Governor Deal (laughs) is probably the most accomplished governor, a Republican, a conservative, one of the most accomplished governors in the country on criminal justice reform. They've now done three rounds of reform and they've hit it all. They've done reentry. They've done over criminalization. They've done, you know, rehabilitation and treatment. They've done sentencing reform um, and and they have so reduced their prison population. They've now saved roughly $250 million, so a quarter of a billion dollars for the taxpayers. They've got lower crime rates, lower recidivism rates, and this last round of reform that Deal was able to get done got a unanimous vote in the legislature. Mm. You, when does that happen? Yeah, right. I mean, you know, I went to visit with the governor recently, and I, you know, I was just like, how did you get that done? Um, and he said, it works. It works. The data proves it works. Right. So. And the results are... Th- I think you said that that they they haven't had a new crime wave because all these people are out on the streets. No. And in fact, let let me give you a statistic. Over the last decade, the 10 states that have most significantly reduced their prison populations through the reforms that we're talking about um, have have seen roughly a 14 percent drop in their crime rates. Conversely, the 10 states that have most significantly increased their prison populations Hmm. have only seen an average of an 8 percent drop in crime. So not only does reform save money, make the system fairer for all communities, but it also makes us safer. And what I would say to the attorney general is, isn't that your role to make our communities safer? I mean, that's your ultimate goal, right? And if it is, we're going in the wrong direction. Do we still have, I've heard this number or figure that we have more people in prison in the United States than most other countries on yes. the planet? Yes, we have 5% of the world's population and 25% of the world's prisoners. Jesus, yeah. why? 
Or, well, or I don't Ameri think it's that we're so much more evil than the rest say, of the world. Are Americans so bad, right? No, that we, no. And, and, and look, a lot of We have what, again, 25%? 25%. Of the people in prisons on the planet are in the United States. Yeah, and of the roughly 2.3, and you have to consider. Two, God, aren't we lucky? <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's Hello. roughly 2.3 million, roughly um, 2.3 million Americans currently behind bars. Um, State and federal prisons. Right. And, and the federal side is a small percentage of that, yeah. only about 200,000 inmates. Um, however, that has uh -huh. exploded over the last few decades, particularly, you know, after it was already on the rise before this. But after the 94 crime bill that was signed into law by then President Clinton. OK, yeah. We, oh, yeah. We, we know all that. we know yes. about that bill. Right. Yeah, we've all got. Uh, we've all got some, some yeah. blame to go around here. Um, but uh, after well, that, that's because what was it? What was it? Hillary, the called those people. At the time. I remember she got in trouble. Doing Super predators. Super predators. Super predators. That's right. Super yeah. predators. Right. And, you know, and that was that was tough, too, during the election. You know, I think she fancied herself, you know, um, sort of the leader of this reform movement. And and in fact, she had supported the very the very legislation at the federal level that not only right. exploded the federal prison population, but it also had a significant impact on the states because it incentivized states to uh, implement these harsher sentencing laws um, by, you know, of course, doing what the federal government does, dangling money in front of right. What uh, What's the cost to keep a person in prison? Well, it, dep it varies. It depends on the state. But our right. incarceration in this country right now is costing us roughly $80 billion a year. Um, and depending on the state, uh, you know, it could be anywhere between, you know, 20000 and $60,000 a year. And for juveniles, it's, you know, exponentially higher. So. Because? Well, I mean, you're obviously dealing with juveniles. You've got to deal with education issues, and and uh, mm, yeah. you know, there's different health issues for uh, for younger people. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's incredibly expensive. And again, you're most of the time, um, especially if you're talking about your low-level nonviolent offenders, you're not getting better outcomes. You know, alternatives to incarceration, like treatment, like rehabilitation, um, those get better outcomes because if you're a drug addict and you go to prison. We're not addressing the core problem that you right. have. So when you get out, you're going to have that same problem. Right. And you're going to return yeah. to drugs, return to bad decisions, and, and very likely return to prison. What percentage do you, or have you, does anyone know, uh, are we talking about when it comes to drug-related crimes as opposed to, you know, violent crimes? Well, or? I mean, the vast majority of them are Low-level nonviolent offenses. Eighty-five percent. Um, well, I would, I, it may not be that high. Yeah. Um, but and again, it varies from state sure, to state. Sure. Um, but uh, yeah, I was just I mean, trying to get a, a, a feeling for this whole war on drugs. What is what it has meant in terms of our prison states population? States like uh, Minnesota, Iowa, those states have you know far more uh, nonviolent offenders behind bars. A state like Michigan, though, has has more violent offenders because mm. they have more alternatives mm. to incarceration for your lower lower level nonviolent offenders. So, right. um, I, you know, another issue that's a real problem in this country is you know bail reform. You have s hundreds of thousands, millions of people, you know, sitting behind bars who've not been convicted of a crime. They simply can't pay their bail. What happens now when an individual sits behind bars for six months, a yeah, year, yeah. waiting? Just you know, well. Obviously, that's going to impact their employment. <laughs> Who's looking out for their children? Um, you know, I know in Kentucky alone, 37,000 Kentuckians, which is where I'm from. I'm sure you can hear it from my accent. 37,000 Kentuckians every year sit behind bars for an average of 110 days uh, because they can't pay their bail. Not been convicted of a crime. And those are just your low-level nonviolent offenders. How, We've can, already how can we hold people behind bars 
if they haven't been convicted it's of almost a like we have a, a horribly broken system uh, yeah almost. <laughs> almost a lot of this is being challenged in court right now and and i and i'm certainly if you're looking at at um at just a purely uh, monetary so monetary charges have been filed but they haven't been tri- exactly so yeah. this person is still innocent until proven guilty that's right. still the standard still behind in this country bars. absolutely and they and only and it's because they can't make their bail and they're con- charged with nonviolent the ones that I was talking about yeah. in Kentucky, the 37,000, yes. And so, and of course, you know, these individuals, a lot of your counties are, you know, going broke, having to house these individuals for this period of time. It would be cheaper to let them out. It, it would be. And, and But, you know, again, we should be moving from a system of monetary bail to, you know, risk assessments. Because if you're looking at a purely monetary system... That's not a system that's going to, uh, you know, place the highest emphasis on public safety. It places so ex- the highest emphasis on who has the most money. Right, right. So explain that. Rick, risk assessment would mean your chances of getting out depend on... On how dangerous you are. You know, what, yeah, what, what you. type of threat that you are to society. Um, and, <laughs> you know, certainly a lot of these individuals who are sitting behind bars would end up with low risk assessments. They're not a threat to society. They may have made a mistake. They may have, you know, addiction issues or mental health issues. And, you know, clearly they're not getting addressed and they're costing the taxpayers a lot of money. And we're not seeing better outcomes. Right. Fail, fail, fail. Yeah. <laughs> Holly Harris, executive director of Justice, U.S. Justice Action Network. So the I just wanted to give your. Uh, your website is justiceactionnetwork.org. Action that's okay, correct. that's where you can find out more and follow uh, the progress here. So, it, as in many areas, whether it's climate change or uh, you know, uh, education or whatever, the states are really the laboratories of democracy here, aren't they? And, and that's where. Th- action is really taking place. It's incredible. We're now, uh, we started out with our organization in our first year, we only had three state targets, Michigan, Ohio, and Pennsylvania. We've now grown to 14 because there's such an appetite for reform. And the irony- So these 14 are states where progress is being made or there's really action- you look underway. at it, Oklahoma right now, Governor Mary Fallon, who, by the way, was mentioned as a potential running mate um, for yes, Donald yes, Trump, right. uh, you know, back during the, the campaign. Um, and uh, you, there couldn't be a greater advocate for criminal justice reform than Governor Fallon. Um, she actually did a, a wonderful event for us at the Republican National Convention this year mm-hmm. with two other very conservative governors, Governor Deal, who I just mentioned uh, from Georgia, and then, of course, Governor Matt Bevin from Kentucky, again, a staunch conservative, uh, probably, I would say, one of the top five conservative governors in the country, um, who is just a zealous advocate for criminal justice reform. And and he's and, and one thing I mentioned about Governor Bevin, too, is he's, he's unabashedly a supporter of second chances. You know, a lot of the people that work in this space, you know, we we tout the public safety benefits of reform, the lower crime rates, the lower recidivism rates, the benefits to a broader society. But but Governor Bevin is very committed to second chances, which is, you know, um, not always the best messaging um, in in some of your more conservative states. But he believes so strongly in that um, that, you know, he every every time he comes to a microphone, he talks about giving individuals who've made mistakes a second chance. Hmm. It's it's amazing that's to me pretty, when we that's a very powerful message. It is. Sure yeah. Is. Like when we talk message. about prison reform and we talk about a lot of people that we're usually on the other side of the aisle. You know, when we talk about politics, you hear names like Bevin and the Koch brothers. And yeah. Yeah. It's it's remarkable to me that like they, they get it, mm-hmm. that this needs to happen. So. 
I can't figure out why it is that Jeff Sessions and uh, Donald Trump are so adamant about this. Because it feels like so much of what they do is a just purely reactionary. Like, well, Obama did this and Obama believed in this, so we had to do the exact opposite. Even though it doesn't necessarily mean progress. You know, I, maybe, uh, the, uh, and I, again, I don't want to speak for the president. I don't want you to get his not, head. I just, I'm I don't understand. I'm not quite sure it. where he is, but I am I am very sure where Jeff Sessions well, yeah, is. Right. And, and maybe there is a, a thought that this is somehow politically savvy. Now, I would warn you that we, my organization, has now polled in roughly a dozen states across the country. Um, and we see crazy numbers and we use public opinion strategies which is a very conservative Mm -hmm. polling firm um but in in michigan you know gotta win michigan if you're gonna you know win the presidency Uh, 91 percent of the voters that we polled and that's republicans and democrats so across the ideological political ideological spectrum 91 percent um would eliminate or uh reform mandatory minimum sentencing in ohio that number is 87 percent where, where do you see those types of numbers? Right. And, and, and everywhere, everywhere we've polled, Louisiana, <laughs> um, you know, uh, Pennsylvania, um, everywhere we've polled, we have seen um, just incredible support for these policies. And I would love for organizations like ours to be able to take credit for that. But I think it's organic because one in three American adults now has a criminal record. Mm-hmm. So we're no longer talking about an obscure minority in this country. Every single American family is now impacted by our broken justice system. So I would say to you know, if, if there are prosecutors out there who think this this is you know somehow popular, not only is this not sound policy, but it is not good politics either. One out of three Americans. That's One in a three. Criminal record. One in three. I always say, go to church on Sunday. Look to your left and look to your right. Oh, jeez. Odds man. are one of one of you probably had a brush with the law. So. Wow. That's yes. Stunning. Mandatory minimum sentencing. Mm-hmm. How many st- state have any states like gotten rid of it? Oh yeah, I mean there's you know again states all over the country are reforming mandatory minimum yeah. sentencing laws in some places. It's least... called something different everywhere, like maybe persistent <laughs> felony offender laws. You know yeah. things like three strikes you're out, where egregious gonna... miscarriages of justice. Right. I was occurred. just going to ask you about three strikes you're out. Is yeah. that still around in a lot of states? Well, I mean again, it's being reformed everywhere yeah, because it's right. just resulted. So in... So how's California doing? Well, California, we don't work in California. I know that they had a ballot initiative uh, right. not so long ago um, that was pushed by, you know, some of our uh, our friends in the reform community. Um, you know, I, I don't know as yeah, much okay. about California as I know about, you know, states like Louisiana, Oklahoma, Kentucky. The biggest state? I do yeah. not. I do not. Um, but, uh, you know, uh, we're in 14 other states. So, And, and we like to go to places where our, my organization likes to go to places where there's an appetite for reform, but there there is a real need for policy assistance and and some, you know, like legislators are saying, we've got to do something about this. Now, tell us what's worked in other states, states like Iowa, you know, where there's not a huge coalition right now. Right. But the vast majority of their prison population is low level nonviolent. So it's really fertile ground for reform. So that's really where our focus is. California's got plenty of organizations working out there. Yeah. Well, just on a personal note, uh, I used to work for um, uh, Governor Jerry Brown, who's still a good friend of mine, and in his first term. Uh, and um, that was when California adopted um, three strikes and you're out. Uh, and Governor Brown signed that law uh, over the objections, the strong objections of several of us on his staff who said no. Were you one of them? I was one of them. All right, Absol- up top. <laughs> right, no, absolutely. Oh, no. I, you can't, Jerry, you, Jerry, you can't sign. Oh, well, you know. Uh, but that reflected, look, Bill Clinton, as you said, signed in 1994, right? 
So that reflects a different era where Democrats were hopefully trying to solve a problem and, and they were hard ass on on violent crime. Sure. And it, and look, I, I always but I'm a little bit to be a big mistake. You and I have worked in politics a long time. We've all been around politics a long time. So I'm a bit <laughs> jaded. I think a lot of what politicians yeah. do, they do for political reasons. No. However, <laughs> how, however, the data, Shocking. the data now is so overwhelmingly yeah. right. in support of these reform policies that, you know, when stuff is working, the politics is sure to follow. Yep. And and that's what's happened. I think that's why we're seeing the polling numbers through the roof in all these states. Uh, and the economics, too. That's Absolutely. That's a big factor, right? Well, yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, this money could be reinvested in education, infrastructure improvement, you name it. Yeah, absolutely. Don, you're doing great work, Holly. Good for you and the uh, U.S. Justice Action Network. Check it out at justiceactionnetwork.org. Thanks for coming in. Keep up the good fight. Okay. Thank you. A lot of success this year. Get it back on track. Uh, and uh, we'll be back in just a little bit here with Annie Linsky from the Boston Globe. This is the Bill Press Show. Hey, everybody. This is Bill Press. Thanks for listening to the Bill Press and Friends podcast. And now do yourself a favor. If you haven't already done so, subscribe to the show on iTunes. Here's what you do. Just search for the Bill Press Show. Then you can take us with you and listen in anywhere you go. And you'll get new shows from us as soon as they're posted. And one more thing. If you really enjoy Bill Press and Friends, please help us grow by telling a friend, writing a review, and giving us a rating on iTunes. It's so great to have you on board. Many thanks. Giving you everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show. Live at YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Did you hear? Circus shut down. No, that's not true. They just moved it to 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. Hey, hello, everybody. What do you say? It is a Monday, May 22nd. This is the Bill Press Show. Good to have you with us. Good to have you part of it. As we boom out to you live coast to coast with the news of the day and look forward to hearing from you as to what it all means to you. You can send us your comments on Twitter at BP show. Uh, yes, indeed. Uh, just to bring you up to date on the big foreign trip, Donald Trump uh, has uh, arrived in Israel, now giving a news conference as we speak with the president of Israel, uh, President Rivlin. He'll be meeting with Prime Minister Netanyahu later and then moving on to the Palestinian territory before he heads off for his next stop, which is Rome, uh, meeting with the Pope and uh, presumably his new ambassador to the Vatican, none other than Callista Gingrich. Oh, God, we have so much to bring up to date on. That's why uh, we're glad to have Annie Linsky from the Boston Globe, national political reporter in studio with us. Hello, Annie. Nice to see you. Hi. Good to be here. Just think, if you were on this trip, <laughs> right, you could have been in Saudi Arabia and banned from the Toby Keith concert. I, I, that's right. And the Rex Tillerson press conference, evidently, yeah. as well. So, yes, well, Surprise. Right. Surprise press conference that nobody was told about. Yeah. Which right. is, except for the foreign press. Right. So, I mean, my goodness. Uh, <clears throat> a few missteps along the way. We'll talk more <laughs> about that and what's going on back here at home with Annie Linsky. But first... This is the Full Court Press. Just a couple of other stories making news. Now, this is just a damn shame, Bill. You're going to hate a damn this. damn shame. 
We are talking about the death of a man named Thunis Botha. He is a big game hunter. He went to a Zimbabwe game reserve where he shot. I hope he got eaten by a lion. He shot an elephant. What's, what's his name again? Thunis Botha? Is that a pseudonym for Donald Trump Jr.? Or? <laughs> <laughs> it could very well be. He shot this elephant. The elephant charged at the man and lifted him with his trunk. And the elephant, as it was dying, collapsed onto the man, killing him. Oh. So the elephant, on its way out, took the big game hunter with him, to which I say, this is a horrible, horrible shame. We feel very, very sorry for the, for the elephant, elephant. Yeah. that did pass away. Uh, don't big game hunt, folks. That's stupid. That's just, just a dumb thing desserts. to do. I wish, I seriously, I wish every that would happen to every big game hunter. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not losing a lot of uh, sleep over that one. A new study led by a neuroscientist analyzed 40 journalists from newspapers, oh. magazines, oh, no. broadcasts, oh. and online platforms over the Annie, last... Annie, this is not going to end well. Seven I, months. I, they took a look at the last seven months, okay? They took a look at tests related to their lifestyle, health, and behavior. And I'm sorry to report that journalists drink too much, they're bad at managing their emotions, and they operate at a lower level than average, according to this new study. They say they have a below-average ability to regulate their emotions, suppress biases, solve complex problems, switch between tasks, and show creative and flexible thinking. Now, I know this doesn't look good, but, like, look at the last seven months. Has anybody been able to do any of this stuff well? It's it took crazy. seven months to figure this out. Right, you know? <laughs> right, right. So. Also, the study, evidently, which I did read, says that journalists don't drink enough water, so just... Get out there. Hydrate, folks. Yeah. That's because they're drinking too much, Alcohol, you know, booze. Which is also in the all hours. Yeah, you can't, you can't do that. Fake news. Fake news, right? I, no, I believe this. I believe <laughs> every <laughs> single word of this study. And Ford Motors, actually, this is big news. Has happened this morning. They ha- are replacing their chief executive, Mark Fields. They're getting rid of him, and they are replacing him with a man by the name of Jim Hackett. Jim Hackett is the man who oversees. The Autonomous Vehicles Division for Ford. Oh, I saw that. Right. So that yeah. could mean very interesting things to come for Ford. This is the guy overseeing the whole company now. Ford has seen their shares drop 40% under Mr. Fields' tenure, so we will see if part of the shakeup involves autonomous vehicles. Peep, I mean, I had a conversation last night with somebody who works with Tesla. I mean, some car companies are really going full bore into this autonomous vehicle. Mm, not me. On your radio, on TV, and online, this is The Bill Press Show. On a Monday, May 22nd, uh, hello everybody, welcome back to The Bill Press Show. Live from our nation's capital, Washington, D.C., sort of an empty town uh, these days with uh, the president and uh, his entire entourage on the road for the great big foreign trip. It's a big one, five different countries in nine days. Annie Linsky covers the White House and all things political for the Boston Globe is here uh, in studio. Pardon me, in studio with us. Annie, nice to see you. Nice to see you. Uh, An interesting trip so far, Mm -hmm. right? Absolutely. Uh, The president going to a country not known for uh, its human rights record and saying, uh, we're not here to lecture you, basically. Yeah. You can do anything you want. Significant shift in foreign policy for a president. And, you know, the... As you can imagine, sort of the human rights 
organizations <laughs> are are really just hand wringing about this and have. Um, because you know there, there is not there's not a lot of leverage that the United States has over countries with um, horrifying human rights records. Um, but interestingly, arms sales is one of them. And um, Donald Trump went to Saudi Arabia, and his big announcement to the Saudis was, "Hey, we are going to release this, uh, allow this arms sale that the Obama administration had stopped out of a deep concern." about how um, these weapons were being used in uh, the, the Saudis' war right. with Yemen. Mm-hmm. And it's a war it's, it's a war that continues. These, nothing has changed in the Saudi behavior. But what has changed is our policy and our, um, you know, the United States is no longer concerned with that um, and is not going to hold up the sale. And so in, heralding it instead, yeah. which has the, the Democrats on the Hill going bonkers. Well, the other thing that has changed is Donald Trump's um, – attitude toward Muslims uh, and toward Islam, right? Yeah, I mean, that certainly has changed. Islam, on, the, on the flight over, I'm sure that flight back, it'll change again. <laughs> Good point. <laughs> you, know. <laughs> you know, but he went from Islam hates us mm-hmm. as a candidate to Islam is a beautiful religion, Yeah, um, uh, which he says in front of these leaders from 50 Muslim countries yesterday. Yeah, it's, you know, you get to pick your Donald Trump. You know, I just wish that I could have, like, a doll that you would you would pull, a, 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 like, a string from the back, and it just says something different every time. I mean, he does not... I mean, his, his lack of consistency on all matters uh, continues. And, you know, it's the same thing with the Chinese. He was railing against the Chinese until he met Mm-mm. President Xi, and all of a sudden they're, you know, amazing and tremendous. Um, yeah, and uh, well, remember that big, beautiful chocolate cake. Uh, <laughs> MSNBC went back and got some of the great clips from that we remember mm. from the uh, campaign. Okay. The, yeah. the, and w- w- the one that we've been <laughs> enjoying this morning so much is, so the, here he is in Saudi Arabia praising the Saudis as our partners and our friends. That's not what he said back uh, not that long ago, in February 2016. You will find out who really knocked down the World Trade Center because they have papers in there that are very secret. You may find it's the Saudis. Oh, Jesus. I mean, yeah. Bin Laden was a Saudi resident, so, uh, you know, I, I mean... I, Obviously, he's a pretty smart cookie. <laughs> yeah, well, that's right. <laughs> and, and, of course, <laughs> he has signed twice an executive order to ban all Muslims from coming to this country. Well, uh, so why... Why do why do they just accept this and look the other way and think that now I mean, they don't I, care what he said in the past? It seems. I, you know, there, there are— they, treat, they really gave him the royal treatment. They did. They did. And I think one has to separate the royal treatment um, from—you know, there, there's a lot going on here. I mean, this is his first foreign trip, and I think that um, the Saudi leaders— were quite attuned to what Trump cares about and what fluffs up his ego. And he clearly wants to see his face on the side of the hotel that he's staying on, which is what yep. they did. They projected right. Right. a giant image of his face <laughs> on the hotel. I mean, you know, so I think a lot of people would it be looked a like a, bit... It looked like a Las Vegas fight. They yes, had like it, they yes. had like Trump's photo on one side, yeah, and they had the other guy on the other, and then they had a handshake in the middle, yeah. Like oh, the only thing that was missing was boxing gloves. Yeah, but I saw one billboard in Riyadh that had a Donald Trump tweet on it. It was sort of an electronic <laughs> billboard, and they were putting his wow. tweets up on the billboard so people 
And and when the motorcade goes by, he sees his tweet. And they loved actually the Saudi um, culture sort of loves and celebrates Twitter. It's one of the most tweeting um, countries. Is that right? Yeah. Oh yeah. wow! Yeah, no it kidding! Is. It's really I didn't interesting. know that. And somebody actually God, he's like one. a superstar. He, well, there. yeah. So they they're playing. I mean, I think what's going on with that royal treatment is playing to his ego and understanding that this well, is what we need to do because they do want something from us. You know, in, in the immediate term, they want this arms deal, and they're gonna get they're gonna get it. You know, Obama said, you know, we're not going to let you have cluster bombs because that those are, you know, you know, those weapons should not be used, even though oddly the United States has produced them. But putting that aside for a second, you know, Obama's posture was quite different and they are really happy to be having this sort of open avenue of new arms. So, you, you know, why not? Yeah, right. Throw up. The, you know. Also. God. The other piece of the, the Saudi culture that I found so interesting, just reading all the coverage, is that one of the big issues in Saudi Arabia is boredom. Like the people who live there are bored, you know, and so <laughs> this, they do have a whole ministry to just make things more interesting. So, you know, to, to them, there's a sense of like, hey, hey, like, why not make this into the circus just like you led? I mean, that's what this is. It's a circus. Yeah, it is. Uh, I saw, I forget over the weekend, I'm sure you saw the same piece. Somebody uh, wrote that there was almost like a memo circulating among the countries that Donald Trump is coming to visit. You know, keep it short, keep it, br- right. yeah, right? Very short. Very short. Pictures. And, congratulate and him on his win. Congratulate him on his win. All the good things. Compare and, him to Obama. Yeah, right. Better than all of that. And that right. was their, they all got the memo. This right. is how to keep Donald, make Donald Trump happy. Right. Yeah. And put you his know, picture everywhere. And uh, but people are, you know, people in all areas sick. comply to to their to these. Keep various, it simple. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Whatever you do, don't get too complicated because he won't be able to. He won't be able to follow you. Now, but the question always is when uh, when a United States president, any president, travels abroad, whether he's able to leave his troubles behind. Uh, ah, or do they yes. follow with him? Yes. Uh, well, people, I've, I've noticed people are still talking this morning about the troubles here behind. Uh, for example, apparently now with the Russian investigation, um, there's a person of interest inside the, In White, the White House. the White House. Yeah. The call came from inside the White House. And who is this person of interest? Well, that's, that's the big speculation. So this is not Paul Manafort, obviously. He's not inside the White House. Right. So not th- Carter LePage. Uh, Carter Page. Carter no. Page. No. no. Also right. not Carter Page. Not um, Roger Stone. Another person who's not in the White House. So, I mean, there's certainly, there's a lot of parlor game, Marie, about who this individual might be. Um, it wouldn't be Reince Priebus. I don't think Reince Priebus, for all, whatever you may think of him, yeah, I don't think right. he's ever stepped foot on Russian soil, no. you know, yeah. or or taken a phone call. I mean, I, you know, I don't think it's that RNC group. You know, there are different no, sort no. of cliques that are in the White yeah. House, and one is the, the the RNC people, the sort of you know Sean Spicer, Sean Spicer and yeah. you know several others, many in the comms shop. There's the the Bannonites, um, and you know those group of people that are you know the hardcore nationalists. Um, and then there are the New Yorkers, and I can, it's hard to imagine it would be coming. It would be the, one of the New Yorkers. They're they're sort of mostly Democrats and mostly interested in making money on Wall Street. The thing that I think is going to how this is all going to play out. Go Jared ahead. Kushner. Yeah, no, it, it, this feels very Kushner-esque. Very Kushner-esque. 
But like the way that I think this is honestly going to play out is I don't know that Trump had his hands in any of the collusion stuff. I just don't know that he could actually pull that off. But obstruction of justice, yeah. I mean, he has essentially admitted to obstructing justice, right? So, like, the collusion stuff, I think, goes deep in the White House, and I think we're going to see a lot of that play out. I don't think that ever comes close to Trump personally, but, like, obstruction, yeah. So it's a total mess. It's one or the other that's going to get somebody in the White House. Right. Well, it, or I mean, everybody. The, the extent to which, and I know that you guys have talked about this, but the extent to which Donald Trump just shot himself in the foot when he fired Comey, not even that he fired Comey, but the way that he fired Comey, um, because ending up with Robert Mueller you know, as oh, yeah. your yeah. as your special uh, counsel, or uh, um, yes, your special counsel is not, it's not what Trump wants. Comey is a flawed character, and Comey is somebody, whatever he had come out with, you know, that was would have been um, subject to to criticism, I believe. But um, Mueller is is sort of above reproach. I mean, my colleague Matt Beiser and I wrote about the relationship between Comey and Mueller. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, that was a great piece, but, by the way, great piece. Above, I mean, there is not a person we talked to who was not absolutely just, you know, whether it's, you know, John Ashcroft, who had so much faith in Mueller. <laughs> so should he come out and say something uh, and say that Trump has done something wrong? You know, Mueller is going to bring, you know, um, a credibility to that that Comey, I don't think, would have had. Do you talk also about the relationship between Comey and Mueller? I mean, they have worked together. For years. Right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Years. So- um, the two of them, I mean, they're such different characters, they're such different figures, but they have a very um, sort of identical career paths in that they were both prosecutors in various offices for, for a long time. Um, and then they were both FBI directors, so it's part of a fairly, fairly small group of people who, right. have, who have done all of that. And they were um, t- together on this sort of very fateful night in Washington in 2004 mm-hmm. um, where... Uh, where Comey was actually, um, at that point, the acting, acting. attorney general for the right. United States. And the Bush administration wanted to reauthorize a um, a, ver- a top-secret um, wiretapping program that was so secret it had to be reauthorized. And it was so um, delicate it had to be reauthorized, I believe it was every 30 days. So it was that, like, you know, that, that sensitive. Yeah. And so um, Com- Ashcroft was in the hospital. He was a... Uh, real attorney general. Comey was the acting attorney general because Ashcroft was in the hospital. And Comey was against this program. And um, Comey learned that uh, Andy Card and um, Alberto okay. Gonzalez were- On their way to George Washington <laughs> University Hospital. That's right. Yeah. To, to, to convince Comey, who is sick, and <laughs> To convince sedated, Ashcroft. Excuse me, to convince Ashcroft. To sign this. Yes, yeah. on his, on his you know, sick bed. Um, and, and Comey learned this and went running to the hospital and called Bob Mueller, who was then the FBI director, because Comey was afraid that he would get to the hospital and the Secret Service attachment detail um, would, would throw him out. Yeah. And Mueller told the FBI agents there, do not let the Secret Service take Comey out of that hospital room. So you could have had this showdown between the Secret mm-hmm. Service being yeah. told to clear the room and the right. FBI being told, no, no, you know, Comey yeah. needs to stay there. And so it was this kind of crazy moment. But it put Comey, Ashcroft and Mueller in the same on the same side for this v- very important moment. But, you know, and these, you know, Comey and Mueller are now again, like, you know, fate has brought them together again with many of the same questions of like. This is the worst possible scenario for yeah. Donald Trump. 
and he brought it on himself. Mm. Uh, he's got to be pissed at the people around him who recommend, who who went along with this. But but of course he made the decision. It's really hard to see how it you know it. You, you can understand that it was the communications of it was handled very poorly, but it really does all go back to him. I don't think yeah, yeah. you know. And you know what? You know what's been interesting is you've seen there was all this talk after Comey was was fired that um, Trump was going to hire another FBI director before he left on this trip. Yes, There's discussion yes, of Lieberman, yes, yes. and that didn't happen. And I, I, you know, you you have to think that that was the staff finally exerting itself and saying like. We cannot have another big fire. We have to really understand, is Lieberman going to be accepted just because he happens to be a Democrat? Guess what? The Democrats don't really like him anymore. Um, so you wonder if he, it's yeah. just it's, I don't think Donald Trump learns lessons, but I think he gets burned and doesn't put his hand in the fire again immediately. He'll put it in again in a few weeks, but it doesn't do it. You it know, has been a slowing down. On that point, it's it's stunning. I think that their level of polis- political sophistication is so thin uh, that number one, they thought that firing Comey would be everybody would say Hosanna! You finally had you know did something we can agree with just because people didn't like Comey. Right. Yeah, but you know that was so juvenile almost the thought. The same thing thinking. Oh, we'll appoint Lieberman because he's a Democrat. Democrats hate Lieberman. Well, there's a lack of. It's just this is a White House with no you know, sense of history. I mean, uh, you know, even George W. I'll Bush. I'll go protest. I said this: if if they nominate Lieberman, I'll go to his confirmation <laughs> hearing with code pink and stand up and carry a banner. I Do mean, we, should we get you a pussy hat? <laughs> yeah, 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 totally. But you have one, don't you? You still uh, have one? Yes. Okay, all right. Yeah, we do. All right. No, yeah, it was just insane. They, that that whole concept, right? Oh, yeah, Joe Lieberman, he's, he's got a D next to his name. Yeah, he must. I mean, no, it's a lack. There is, it's a lack of sophistication and, and they just, and nobody has just read basic history. I mean, he'd be terrible. Plus, he'd be a politician in charge of a law enforcement office, which a lot of, you know, Democrats and Republicans, so we shouldn't be doing that to the FBI. Right? Yeah, well, the Merrick, I still like Merrick Garland. That's oh, my yeah, favorite. Oh, right. yeah, right. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Get, like, yeah, what I are they doing? Like yeah, the Democrats will, they'll love us if we nominate <laughs> Merrick like, Garland. Part of the, like, the Republicans' strategy, right, mm-hmm. of governing is just, like, how cute can we be? You know, like getting rid of the Michelle Obama school lunch stuff, mm-hmm. which I think we can all agree, like having unhealthy overweight kids is something we would want to avoid. But like, oh, Michelle Obama did it, so we're going to tweak her and get rid of that. Or this, like, the Merrick Garland thing is just a little knife in the side. It's like, come on, be serious. Be serious people with serious ideas. All right, so one dub move, uh, classic, was firing James Comey. The next was, the next very next day, inviting uh, Mr. Lavrov and Ambassador Kislyak to the Oval Office. Yes. Not inviting any American reporters, yucking. I mean, they were really having a yucking it up with him. You see, his arm around Kislyak, particularly and we, the guy and we know that. that we have Jeff that. Sessions and Jared Kushner and all you know were hanging out with yeah. got Michael Flynn fired. Then they invite him into the Oval Office, right? Right. And, and then they have the Russian photographer there taking the pictures, and then they release that. And now we know from the notes of the meeting that Donald Trump says. Well, we'll be able to make a deal right now because the pressure's off. Because I fired that nut job, Comey, yesterday. George Stephanopoulos uh, asking McMaster's about that yesterday. Yeah, the president of the United States telling the Russian foreign minister in their first meeting 
that the pressure is off because he's fired the FBI director investigating Russian interference in the campaign. Does that seem appropriate to you? As you know, it's, it's very difficult to take a few lines, to take a paragraph out, out of what, are, what, are, what appear to be notes of that meeting. Doesn't answer, <laughs> yeah, obviously it doesn't answer the question. It's a pretty outrageous thing to say, right, to the Russians. Oh, yeah. It's a, you know, let's just say for a minute that you think that um, and you want to discuss that with your allies. I mean, the, the idea here that the Russians were palling around with them and confiding in them and is it, it's just it, it 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 betrays this utter misunderstanding of the interests between our country and the Russians which d diverge. I mean, they are not our buddies. You know, um Putin is not our friend and has not behaved like a friend and it's just the idea that there there is this sort of notion of this kind of pally relationship at the top where oh hey I got rid of that guy what a nut I mean you know it is um that is one of the more deeply disturbing bits of news that came out because it just suggests that Donald Trump has no sense of the um actual relationship between these two countries I mean you know you you would you know, it, it, it was really upsetting and quite stunning. You know what I find so humorous about all this is, like, you look at a guy like Lavrov, right, who has clawed his way to this position mm. in in Russia, right? And he came into, like, came up during, like, 90s <laughs> Russia, which you could argue is one of the most volatile political environments that has ever been. Yeah. And this is just a scrappy, hardened... Russian like, diplomat or politician, and here he meets Donald Trump, who is essentially like a man-child, and just is offering him everything he could possibly want. Like, this guy has fought for so much, and he's like, this is too easy now. This is like, the easiest they thing ever They were just very done. clever. They here he is in the Oval clever, Office right. getting this stuff from the President of the United States. I mean, we would have never even known that the Russian ambassador was there without those photographs released by a Russian. Yeah, because he was not on the official right. list. He was not. He was not. And I mean, I was in the in the press room when those pictures went up on Twitter and or on, I can't when those pictures were posted on um, that Russian site and the like the level of just like outrage. I mean, this con this this concept that you know. Here you are sitting, you know, probably like forty feet away from the Oval Office. Right. But the people who are in the room are, are you know, a Russian propagandist arm, and, and you're learning about what's happening in the Oval from a, a <laughs> an arm of Russian government. It's really um, was unsettling to say the least. Um, yeah, we 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 had uh, Congressman Dan Kildee in last yeah. week on the morning that it was revealed that um, that about that meeting yeah. at any rate. Mm -hmm. uh, and, oh, and that Vladimir Putin, that was it. It was the word that Vladimir Putin had, had actually suggested to Donald Trump mm. that he invite Lavrov in. Mm. Uh, and, you know, Congressman Kildee was just stunned. He just said, what can I say? This just proves that the Kremlin knows more about what's going on at the White House like and the Oval Office than we do, God. right? They're... They're, they're, they're scheduling meetings. Oh. They're setting Donald Trump's agenda. They're sending in whomever they want. Oh, hey, hey, you should meet my friend. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that that was a, um, I mean, that was a very disturbing piece of that that week of news that never really stopped. I mean, right. my goodness.
So um, last week there were on the floor of the House for the first time um, the I word was used by uh, Congressman yeah. Al Green yes, yes. from uh, Texas who was here in studio mm. um, with uh, Peter <laughs> and Igor Volsky on Friday <laughs> okay. because I was off. But uh, he actually made a speech saying it was time to start talking about impeachment. Uh, since hit that speech and since our show Friday, he's had calls on his um, – he released yesterday one such call oh. uh, from an outraged Trumper. You ain't going to impeach nobody, you f Try it, and we'll lynch all you f You'll be hanging from a tree. Wow. Whoa. Yeah. Goodness. Hello. Um, Al Green, as Congressman Al Green, saying, um, not going to shut him up. <laughs> but we are not going to be intimidated. And he said the basic point that he wanted to make is simply... We believe no person is above the law, not even the case of America. There it is. Uh, anybody else talking about it? Um, yes, it is coming up on the lips of people on and off the record. But, you know, I would say, um, you know, to... to Congresswoman Congress Maxine Waters, Ma we Waters. have to add her to the list. right? I, you know, I would say to this idea that no president is above the law, like, I don't really think that's necessarily true. I mean, the president can pardon himself. And he can pardon the people around him. And, you know, I, you know, I think um, I've been doing a lot of, as many people have, reading uh, about Nixon and Watergate. And Nixon, when he, after he left office, his belief is that he, 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 he doesn't think that a president really, he doesn't think, he left office thinking that he really wouldn't have been removed if he hadn't, um, if he had not, if he had not left on his own accord, and that no president, he did not. He didn't think, believe Barry Goldwater that they had the votes. Mm -mm. I, I mean, this is upon reflection, yeah, right. and who knows? You know, and of course, it's self-serving of him to say that. But it is very, very hard to remove a sitting president, and you know, I I can't see how a, a Republican House does this under almost any circumstance. I, you know, I know there's been a lot of talk about it. I, I, I was on the Hill a little bit last week talking to Republicans um, and some Democrats, but there was certainly like unease and concern. But I mean, I think the more likely scenario here is that just Trump's agenda is just shut down for the next two to four years of just, you know, where, where his momentum on the Hill is just grinds to a halt. Well, even which for uh, Democrats might be a better deal. I mean, do Democrats right. really want to end up with a President Pence? Is that what the Democrats mm -hmm. think would be better? I mean, I think the Republican who came the closest to it uh, was Justin Amash from Michigan mm -hmm. last week, who said, yes. "If these charges mm -hmm. about obstruction of justice, uh, and I don't, I don't think there's any other thing you can call it when you call the FBI director in and say, I want you to shut down this investigation of my administration. Yeah. That's I." Uh, by any definition, I believe, obstruction of justice. And Amos said, if those charges are proven true, we'll find out, I guess, from Robert yeah. Mueller, uh, he thinks they would be grounds for impeachment. So, Yeah, it's just hard. It's hard. I, you know, I've watched the Republican Party mm -hmm. for two years um, hand-ring over Donald Trump and then never actually stand up to him. Um, and I, uh, you know, I, it just goes back to that quote he said on the campaign that he could shoot somebody. Fifth Avenue. Fifth Avenue. Right. And I really think he could probably shoot Mitch McConnell on you know, Pennsylvania Avenue and be <laughs> fine. I think it's the truest thing he ever said about, uh, you know, his whole political Yeah. Uh, there are moments of, of moments of truth with this guy. Every yeah, once in a while, yeah. just moments of clear truth. 
And and that was one you of know, it, it drives me crazy. But the networks keep doing this. They'll say, "Oh, well, we decided tonight we're going to go talk to some Trump voters." Oh, you know, I and can't and they go, I, 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 "Yeah, it's so dumb." Thank me. you. Yeah. It's so at the and well, they go out to some diner somewhere, and right. they did these old <laughs> old fat white guys sitting there, you know, eating chocolate cake and drinking their coffee or something. And that stuff that they say is so goddamn. Right. So you're right. Stupid. Well, Trump voters still vote. For, I mean, we at the Globe, at the Boston Globe, we've been making fun of these stories for like weeks, and we have this sort of counter counter idea where we'll go out to Cambridge and ask people about Elizabeth Warren, like, oh, you know, person in in yeah. you know oh, yeah. organic grocery store still supports Elizabeth Warren. Right, right. And it's just like, of course right. they do. Of yeah. course they do. Yeah, right. We haven't learned anything. <laughs> yeah. We really haven't learned anything since the election. I, I really, I don't, and I mean, like, I, I think that, that the media be, in general is having a hard do time that. with it. Yeah. Go out with, to the coffee shop in the Cambridge, shop. Massachusetts, <laughs> right? Yeah. yeah. And oh, stunning, shocking <laughs> news. We're re- breaking news, right? right. They still <laughs> like Elizabeth Pinkos right. still like Elizabeth Warren. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Yes. All right. Well, the master politician is on the road, as we know, and the 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 motive we're told from the White House is he is going to bring together all three of the world's great religions, and who better to do it uh, than Donald Trump and Callista Gingrich? Um, So, Annie Lisky, thank you for being here, and we'll talk about those worlds through great religions with Jack Jenkins, who's the senior religion reporter for Think Progress, uh, coming up next. Thanks, Annie. We'll see you. BostonGlobe.com. We'll be right back. The word unbelievable has lost its meaning in Washington lately. Download our podcast. Search for The Bill Press Show on iTunes. And remember to rate, review, and subscribe. This is The Bill Press Show. Same great show, new great channel. Stream live video at youtube.com slash the Bill Press Show. What do you say on a Monday, Monday, May 20th, Monday, May 22nd, that is. It is the Bill Press Show. We are uh, with you live coast to coast to talk about the news of the day. Coming to you live from our studio here on Capitol Hill uh, in Washington, D.C., and brought to you today by the International Brotherhood of Teamsters, the good men and women of the Teamsters Union under President Jim Hoffa, doing great work. We all live better because of their good work. And check out their website at teamster.org. Yes, indeed, uh, the president is now in, uh, in Israel. He and the First Lady are at the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. This is their effort to, in fact, if they want to do so, um, Unite all the world's great religions, the three of them, uh, Catholicism and uh, Islam and uh, Judaism, all right there in Jerusalem. Jack Jenkins is a senior religion reporter for Think Progress. Hey, Jack. Nice hey. to see you. Thanks for having me. If you wanted to see somebody, uh, pick somebody to bring all the world's religions together, who better than Donald Trump, Ob- right? Obviously. He's such a uniter when you really think about it. Um, and such a... Profoundly religious man. <laughs> it's yeah. You know what his favorite book is? The Bible. Right. Actually, wait. Wasn't the Bible no. his second favorite book next think, to the Art of the Deal? Right. Right. <laughs> That's right. I think he collects it's a, Bibles and his own book. Uh, yeah. Um, well, he does worship himself. <laughs> yeah. 
Well, we could go on and on. <laughs> <laughs> so is this trip really anything to do with religion? Um, I mean, yes and no. Mostly no. I mean, a part of this is yeah. is, is both kind of, um, you know, like the, the Saudi Arabia trip was mostly to kind of do a collective realignment of foreign policy, right? Like it realigns. And a, and a big arms deal. Exactly. A really big arms deal, over $100 billion and um, that Jared Kushner apparently helped negotiate. And, and so that's a big part of this is just trying to, like, um, make sure that the certain alliances maintain. But... You know, the other part of it is that there is some uh, things back home that he's trying to say at the same time, right? So traveling to Saudi Arabia and um, Jerusalem and the Vatican later this week, these are kind of signals that his administration is trying to send back to the states that says, you know, he's a uniter of some variety, that he has respect for all major religions, et cetera, et cetera. Um, now, all of these are in uh, direct contrast to the way that he campaigned, um, but it is it is in some ways an attempt by the administration to to show Donald Trump as someone who could be a as as far as they're concerned a uniter of all the Abrahamic faiths, mm-hmm. um, which, as we've mentioned, is 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 unlikely, um, but it is certainly the vision for this trip. Well, starting out uh, with the speech that he gave yesterday to the leaders of 50 Muslim countries, Sunni countries, right, Mm -hmm. where um, this is a man who said during his campaign, you know, Israel, uh, Islam hates us. Right. Right. And basically talked about Islam. And so, of course, did Michael Flynn as a a violent religion and teaches people to practice violence. That's what it's all about. But, I mean, yesterday it was like, like... Islam, we love, <laughs> we love Islam, right? right. It's a beautiful religion. Yeah. Well, that was the... It's a total 180 degrees. Yes. It was actually, it was an interesting speech to watch because rhetorically, um, it, it seemed to channel both George W. Bush and, in several places, Barack Obama. Yes, yes, um, there yes. Were, there were moments when he said, you know, extremists um, don't worship God, they worship death, and that, that jibes very closely with a speech that Barack Obama gave in which he referred to ISIS as a cult of death. Um, it kind of fused, but it also had some moral absolutism um, of the the Bush era, right? Where it's both, with, and Bush was relatively, you know, conciliatory towards Islam in general. Um, that was, I mean, that pissed off a lot of Republicans. He he kept calling Islam a religion of peace, right? It, I, I think George Bush actually thought the name of the religion was Islam, comma religion of peace, because <laughs> he said it all the time, and, and much to, I mean, people really got pissed at him. Republicans and, did, and it's curious to see actually how this speech will play with Trump's conservative base because so much of that speech was conciliatory. Um, he, uh, although there was one moment where you know he campaigned on the idea that it's important for a president to say radical Islamic um, terrorism. Right. Quote, unquote. Yeah. Right. Um, he did oh. not say that phrase. Uh, he did say Islamic extremism mm-hmm. at one point, which apparently wasn't in his prepared remarks. He was tired and said it is a, um, apparently mm. the the response of his um, uh, of his aides, but he he included some version of it, but likely as an overture to his base. But he did not actually say the phrase that he campaigned on, and that sort of separation and attacked Hillary Clinton and Barack Obama for never saying that those three words. Yes, and in debates to their faces, like this was like something he <laughs> yeah. he, he he made a huge part of his campaign. 
Um, and so it'll be interesting to see how it plays back home. It looks like conservative media is picking up on another part of the speech where he instructs these various Muslim leaders, you know, to drive out extremists from their mosques and from their countries, et cetera. And so he kept saying, drive them out. And so that's the part they're harping on. Um, but it certainly wasn't a traditional uh, Donald Trump um, approach to, to Islam in any capacity. I mean, one thing what? you'll notice of the different leaders that were in attendance, um, uh, some of them hailed from countries that are banned under Trump's uh, Muslim ban. Like that, like they, 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 they were sitting in the audience apparently, and they could not travel to our country um, under his ban were it to have, were it to take effect. So, uh, yeah, you got to wonder about um, why they were there. Because I guess the Saudis told them you were here, or yeah. you know, or, or or else. You know, on, on the on the how his Trump how the Trump base views this, like. There were so many people, once we learned that he was going to be giving this speech on Islam in Saudi Arabia, there were so many of the alt-writers and the Trump water carriers that were so excited because finally they were going to have a president oh, yeah, go there gonna... to their face <laughs> and stick it to them yeah, and tell yeah. them what barbarians they are. And he was a kitty cat. Yeah. I mean, I, I said yesterday, like, that's a, like you mentioned, that's a speech Obama could have given. Right. I mean, it's definitely it's left of George W. Bush in yeah. terms of like on some of the issues. It was hardly a hardlining speech to Islam. Right, right. It was not the crusade. So they're going to be pissed. Right. I mean, it definitely doesn't reflect the position that even Steve Bannon, you know, his his main advisor, um, voiced in a speech in 2014. I mean, like Trump well, explicitly rejects the idea of a clash of civilizations in this speech. And that was something that um, Steve Bannon wholeheartedly endorsed as like the way of the world in 2014 when he spoke at the Vatican. Well, he, he also has reversed himself on what he thinks about the Saudis. We, we right. love this clip so much from February 2016. We have to play it again. Uh, this is uh, just not that long ago, a little over a year ago, where he um, was part of the 9-11 conspiracy. Here he is. You will find out who really knocked down the World Trade Center because they have papers in there that are very secret. You may find it's the Saudis. There you go. Right? Yeah. And he, and he tweeted in 2014 or 2015 saying that we, we should get free oil from Saudi Arabia for 10 years yeah, right. um, or we won't protect their, their 747s. Like, it's, it's a, it's a to, pivot. To what extent do we know that money from Saudi Arabia has gone to finance terrorist organizations? Um, they definitely the there's certainly a number of claims. I mean, you know, well, we don't have to. We don't have to. Maybe it's not ISIS, but Hamas, maybe or. There's certainly money trails in, ter- in terms of going back to Saudi Arabia. Whether or not yeah. they go back to specific political officials, that's another one. I mean, it's, it's whether it's the government or whether it's individuals. Right, and also, I mean, no one forgets the mm-hmm. the idea that most of the 9/11 hijackers hailed from Saudi Arabia. Now, and Osama bin Laden. Right. Now they now now there's there's no firm evidence at this precise moment that that came from the Saudi government, um, but although they just passed legislation here in the states that allows 9/11 families to sue Saudi Arabia right. um, for complicity, yeah. you know, ostensibly in in um, 9/11. So it's it's certainly not a place where extremism um, is is driven out on a regular basis. Put it that way, and right. there are certainly reasons for people to be. I mean, this is a this is a country where human rights abuses are well documented. Um, uh- so right. it's it's not it's not exactly a bastion of civility by any traditional Western standard. But and on that point, 
um, Donald Trump said in his sort, I am not here to lecture, right? Well, so we are not here to lecture. Mm -hmm. So you mentioned about human rights. Uh, I was talking earlier about women's rights in Saudi Arabia, basically mm -hmm. are non-existent, right? right? The World Economic Forum ranks them 141 out of 144 countries when right. it comes to gender equality. Um, but the White House says, oh, we talk about those things privately. Right. And this was, I mean, even yesterday, Rick Santorum during um, when, when he was speaking go. about this speech, <laughs> he was saying, he's like, oh, you know, like uh, maybe they won't talk about it publicly, but I'm sure, you know, they better be talking about it in these back rooms. And to what degree those backroom conversations would ever be efficacious? Would, would suddenly women um, be given, you know, full rights in Saudi Arabia because Trump, you know, went back and spoke with officials in a back room? <laughs> it, it's highly unlikely. Um, I mean, it's it's technically possible. Um, um, but it, it's not a scenario where any change in Saudi Arabia is going to come quickly. But haven't we? Have, it seems that the Trump foreign policy is, to the extent that we can read it, because he hasn't articulated it, is we don't care what you do in your own country as long as you like us, right? Uh, or or treat me like a king. <laughs> well, there's certainly, I mean, the, one of the things about his Saudi Arabia trip is they certainly treated him like a king. They, they did. They projected yeah. his face onto a building. And um, there was the, the, lauding him with, you know, uh, gold medals to the point where Israel apparently scrambled to, you know, retrofit and, and reconfigure their own welcome of him to, like, kind of match the kind of ostentatiousness that he met in Aus in Saudi Arabia. But, you know, there there is some other sort of posturing. I mean, the, this Islam speech was about Islam, but it was really mostly about the final part of the speech, which was talking about Iran, which mm -hmm. is the realignment yeah. of, you know, Obama's nuclear deal with Iran um, was in some ways kind of a shifting from a firm, uh, traditional, you know, there's uh, Saudi Arabia as this close ally, um, and, and, we, and, it, and those, uh, um, Saudi Arabia is in, in direct conflict with Iran on a regular basis in terms of politics. This was a kind of a shift back to that traditional position of saying Saudi Arabia is our close ally in, you know, over and against Iran. Right. And that seemed to be the larger um, impact of this speech and also, you know, Trump's larger goal there. So there's some countries no. where he's willing to kind of reject. Right. <laughs> uh, okay. So now we're already into stop number two. Right. 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 Okay. Uh, which is maybe uh, obviously a bigger challenge than bringing uh, the Muslims and the Jews together. It would be bringing the Palestinian Authority and Israel together. Oh, it's, just, it's just a small little conflict. It's not like it's, <laughs> it's not like it's been controversial. You know, no one's tried to fix it yet. Really, that's really. I mean, somebody should have looked into actually fixing this. <laughs> well, that's the. Why didn't anybody else have this idea? Right. <laughs> Well, I mean, right. they are apparently they, his administration does think this is a thing that they want to try to achieve. I mean, so do every so does every other president ever. But yes. it is it is something that um, that it is on their agenda to try to forge a peace. Um, there is certainly uh, he's you know met with a boss and he's and well, although I will note part of this trip is going to be a little more awkward than he intended. I think this was going to be kind of one of the easier trips before. Um, it became it, it was leaked that he had you know apparently declassified information in a meeting with the Russians and that information apparently reportedly came from the Israelis um, you know th that's going to make his his dealings a little more awkward when he gets there um, but uh, he's, he's he's definitely apparently interested in trying to to suddenly fix the Israeli Palestinian conflict um, I guess through the art of the deal I, I don't really know yeah. and this is also then another. Um, brick, if you will, in the wall <laughs> that he's trying to build 
uh, around Iran or right. or another ally in the forces he's trying to bring together all against Iran, right? So that's the one thread, if you will, that would unite Saudi Arabia, you know, those other Muslim countries, Israel, Palestine Authority, they're all... Right. They see Iran, the Shia Iran, as the enemy. Right. Well, there's there's certainly the main political actors that he's speaking with. This is this is kind yeah. of part of this realignment against Iran, which is you know interesting given that they just had a, they, they election. just elected a moderate. Right. They just they uh, <laughs> on a reformist agenda. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and they like 48 hours before his speech, and then he spent all that time blasting them. I mean, it, it, to be fair, I mean, Iran's not you know a bastion right. of, um, of of civil rights or human rights, but it's they, there is tangible progress that had literally just occurred, but that seems to not be a part of the narrative that he's spouting from his various podiums on this trip. So, uh-huh. um, And um, then we go to the Vatican <laughs> right. and Rome. <laughs> Which, ironically, I mean, that's, the, ironically, he will probably be, you know, that Pope Francis has agreed to, to, to meet him with open arms, um, but those two have the most intense ideological agreements. Um, the Pope Francis and Donald Trump diverge sharply on most issues, um, right down to the fact that you know a lot of folks forget in January of 2016, um, January February, the, the Pope and, and Trump had a had a fight in which Pope over Francis the, over the over the over the wall, right? right. Yeah, um, and and Pope Francis <laughs> implied that Trump, Donald Trump is not a Christian or at least not a good one. Um, and so <laughs> that's a little awkward for that conversation to begin when he gets there. Um, they also diverge sharply on climate change. Um, they diverge sharply on the Syrian refugee crisis and immigration in general. Um, they've diverged sharply on economics, probably more sharply than anything else. Those two um, hold ideologically um, uh, disparate ideas. So it'll be curious to see what conversation is had, if any. But that one certainly will probably be a backroom conversation. <laughs> right. Well. Uh, it is, but isn't uh, we've seen now Donald Trump? So I mean, look at China, right? New York Times reporting yesterday that they've killed eighteen to twenty people, rounded up, of, uh, uh, who were working with our CIA. Now mm-hmm. they were spies, but uh, uh, pretty brutal. Their their human rights record. Erdogan from Turkey right. in the Oval Office last week. He invites Duterte from the Philippines to the Oval Office. He's got presence Al Sisi from. Egypt and Obama would never have in the Oval Office. All these guys have horrific human rights records. Mm-hmm. Uh, look at, and and so I, I'm not comparing them to Pope Francis. What I'm saying is Donald Trump doesn't care. Almost he puts he puts all those things behind him, right? As long as you know he can meet with somebody and shake hands and get a picture taken, and that's all, that's all he needs. That's, right. that's, that's the, all he needs. The, the the depth of his. Foreign policy, unless you're Angela Merkel, in which case he won't shake your hand uh, or whatever. Yeah, there you go. Good point. Yeah, good point. <laughs> but uh, yeah. but yeah, I mean, I think well, there is an there's an open question of like um, you know the the, the strongmen, quote unquote, yes. that he invites, yes, yes, um, and whether or not there's any number of, of of theories. It's like does he does he feel affinity towards them, like a similar style of politics. Um, or is it something like you just said? He doesn't really care as long as he gets the photo op and some something out of it, um, mm-hmm. some part of the deal, as it were. Um, but it, it it does seem to be he's willing to meet with with um, whoever as long as it forwards 
whatever agenda it is that he's forwarding, which let's not forget is not entirely clear in this moment, especially not in his deeply embattled administration. Um, he's, you know, they're, they're in the midst of what they would like to be a reset. This trip was supposed to be designed to help reset his administration so that they could, they could, you know, have a different, you know, they, they could start getting things done on their return. Um, that's likely not to be the case given all the different stuff that broke last week. So well, uh, Robert Mueller will still be here when they get back. Right? Exactly. So it's, it's, you know, what, what comes out of these meetings and whether or not he'll be able to kind of win back the narrative, no matter what religious, religious leader or, or political leader he meets with, um, is an open question. Um, but I, I, I'm curious to see how this trip plays with his base and, more importantly, with the movable middle, the folks who voted for Obama twice and then voted for Trump, how they see his, his actions, you know, through the, the, the bastions, as you know, he refers to it as the, of the three Abrahamic faiths. So. Right. Uh, and then, of course, we go, we go on to NATO and, oh, yeah. and, and the rest <laughs> of it. But, but again, back to the Vatican, it's unlikely that either he or the Pope will say anything critical of the other right right you know it'll be it'll be a lot of platitudes and grandstanding um i i assume i mean you know there's there's instances where pope francis has suddenly you know gotten an edge to him and so it's not entirely implausible that he would politely criticize Mm -hmm. the president yeah yeah. um you know pope francis isn't one to uh you know shrink from power he's he doesn't he's not someone who seems to have a whole lot of fear of power but so if, if he has something he feels he needs to say out loud, he likely will in the most polite way possible. But he is he has made clear um, and given in every indication that this trip he's 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 welcoming um, Donald Trump with open arms to try to give him a chance, as it were, to see what conversations they can have. Jack Jenkins is a senior religion reporter for Think Progress, thinkprogress.org. Of course, follow their work as we do. Uh, every day and learn a lot from it on many uh, levels, not just the religion uh, angle, but that's uh, Jack's beat. Um, And what will make this trip to the Vatican especially special is that Donald Trump will be introducing his new ambassador to the Vatican. Right. Um, (laughs) Is Callista Gingrich really (laughs) the person that, uh, who represents the best of America? Look, I've met her. She's a fine woman, and you know nothing personal. But is she the best of American Catholicism? The face of American Catholicism? Um, you know, I I I, I don't think she's a traditional choice um, for for the, the ambassador. Um, I do think uh, her her husband Newt Gingrich, Gingrich certainly thinks she is, um, who is a convert to Catholicism. And it is, uh, I mean, you know, she graduated from Luther College, which is usually not what you see on the resume of ambassadors to the Vatican. Um, uh, there, there, there was an ideological difference between that thinker and, and the Catholic Church for a, a while. A little uh, bit. Yeah, yeah. There was some, some flare-ups. I mean, you know. But uh, in terms of it, let's just, be, you know, Newt Gingrich, this is his third wife. Mm-hmm. And that they were having the big affair at the same time Bill Clinton was having his affair with Monica Lewinsky. Right. and. Then he divorced his second wife, and then they they got married. It, I mean, uh, I was raised a Catholic. That's not usually something the Catholic, the official Catholic Church uh, takes lightly. <clears throat> no, it's it's not it's not something that's traditionally sanctioned by no uh, right the Catholic Church. Yeah, like I don't I don't want to beat up too much on Newt Gingrich for, for being married a couple times. It happens, right? But but when you look at how the Catholic Church views those types of relationships, if, if you don't have a lot of money. 
Yeah. It's very hard. It's to get really divorced, hard right, to do. To get divorced and remarry yeah. and, and still be allowed to receive the sacraments. And right. so, like, if that is the standard that the Catholic Church has set, it's really tough to put someone like Callista Gingrich in there with a straight face. Right. I think it. it they I wish they'd appointed a gay. Ambassador. Oh my God! Can you imagine that would have been perfect. <laughs> well, I, I, I don't think the Pope would have had a problem with that. I mean, it's one of those things where you know they they uh, there's a power game at the end of the day, and the the Vatican, the Holy See, can only do so much, or will only do so much to kind of push back on that. No, I'm really curious to see you know how her conversations with the various Vatican dignitaries go. I mean, I you know her how fluent she is in in you know the different goings on of the holy see that that'll be really interesting in some respects because you know pope francis has elevated the vatican's political influence across the globe so the stakes of um what the vatican does politically are significantly higher arguably than they were in previous years in previous decades because i mean pope francis helped negotiate our deal with cuba um the opening of yeah oh yeah yeah. wouldn't have happened without the, the vatican so, you know, the, the U.S. ambassador to the Vatican arguably is, has, a, has, has an enhanced role than they've had in the years past. So um, now there's the other question of whether or not the United States and the Vatican are going to be working together that closely given that Donald Trump is president. But, you know, it, it certainly is in, an, eye, an eye-opening thing to see <laughs> someone like Ms. Um, Gingrich be put yeah. on this position because we don't know precisely how adequately she'll be able to kind of parse those different uh, divergent views of Donald Trump and Pope Francis in a in a diplomatic sense. But, you know, that is one area I hadn't thought about that, where uh, the Pope might could very well say something about Cuba, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. just priding Donald Trump uh, uh, a little bit. Right? Could. That, that we we welcome the new <laughs> opening up and, you know, warming of relationship between the United States and Cuba. And this is this uh, this. We would hope this would continue or something like that without a direct slap at Donald Trump. That'd right. Be, he could also do things. Yeah, he could also have him meet the different Syrian refugees that are staying at the Vatican. <laughs> These are different, there's several different things he could politely do <laughs> to jab at the president. Oh, oh, that would be great. Yeah. And Mr. President, you got a big plane. Why don't you take a few of these people home with you? <laughs> no, we don't allow Muslims in the United States. Oh, wow. Hey, Jack, it's so great to visit with you again. Thanks for your good work. Thank you for that. Thanks for coming in. Thinkprogress.org. Have a great day, folks. Come back and see us tomorrow. This is the Bill Press Show. The Parting Shot with Bill Press. This is the Bill Press Show. Well, who said Donald Trump's first foreign policy trip was going to go so smoothly? Yeah, uh, his first stop ended in a pretty monumental embarrassment. Speaking to a group of leading uh, Saudi Muslims, Trump told Sunni Muslims and some uh, mostly Saudis, Trump told them, quote, we are not here to lecture. Now, remember, this is a country that treats women like dirt. In fact, the World Economic Forum Took a look at 144 countries. They rated Saudi Arabia 141 out of 144 when it comes to gender equality. Saudi women, as we know, are not allowed to drive. Only recently were they allowed to vote in municipal elections. And every woman must have a male guardian without whom she cannot leave the house, conduct any business, or even have any elective surgery. 
women also need their male guardian's permission to get an education, get a job, or open a bank account. And, of course, they must also wear the hijab and clothing that covers every part of their body except their face. They can only enter their house or restaurants or banks or public buildings through a separate entrance. And if they ever get on a bus, they have to sit in the back of the bus. In other words, this is nothing short of apartheid that they're practicing in Saudi Arabia. And for Donald Trump, it's nothing short of hypocrisy because he attacks the Taliban all the time because of the way they treat women. And yet he looks the other way when it comes to Saudi Arabia, even though the Saudis are just as bad as the Taliban when it comes to treatment of women. We are not here to lecture, says Donald Trump. Oh, yes, we are. We are here to lecture the Saudis that they should start treating women as equal human beings and not as household pets. This is The Bill Press Show.